Hey, listeners, this is Marcia Epstein at the dining room table with a guest for a talk with me here in Lawrence, Kansas in spring, March 26th, 2018. We're recording, which means in Lawrence, Kansas, this week includes a final Friday, which is the art event of the month. Opportunity to experience lots of different kinds of art every final Friday. I hope I said final Friday. I don't know what I said. Anyway, <laughs> I know it's first Friday, other places. Uh, ooh. Anyway, we're going to have some great stuff going on in Lawrence as always. And today I have a guest who is somebody who is responsible for one of the great events that's happening on our final Friday for March in downtown Lawrence, Kansas. He is also a writer and visual artist, and so I want you to know him in a variety of ways. And so I want to welcome my guest, Harry Shepard. Well, thank you, Marsha. I'm glad to be Hi. here. We're old friends, so this is kind of formal for us to do something with a mic between us. Yes. <laughs> But it's nice to see a friendly face again and a fun person. Yes, really you know. nice. So I always start by asking my guests to say a little bit about self. So instead of me giving a bio, what are a few things that you would like the, the people who are listening to know about you as we launch into this conversation? Okay, well, you know, like, um, what can I say except that I've had quite a varied experiences through the years. Mm -hmm. I spent 25 years in the, the corporate world working in Job Corps helping young people uh, obtain uh, employment and education. And Job Corps is one of the only federally funded uh, training programs in the country that is so amazing. It's 100% funded by the Department of Labor. And it teaches people, uh, it, it gives young people 16 to 23 years of age the opportunity to, uh, to uh, succeed in life and have a, have a career. So that's been really exciting for my life for those years. That was after I had uh, left a, a very uh, artistic-oriented life uh, in Salt Lake City back during the years of the 1980s when I ran a coffee house that was called The Painted Word uh -huh. Emporium, actually, The Painted Word Emporium. And we did about 750 performances a year. We did a live radio broadcast, kind of like Prairie Home Companion, called Desert Air. And... Uh, and uh, and I was a disc jockey on public radio for 13 years during that time, which totally enjoyed that. Uh -huh. And uh, we'd love to see a public radio station here in town to join. You like know? a community radio station? Community radio station uh -huh. in Lawrence. You know, I think that there's enough artistic merit in this town. And, yeah. and the music scene is pretty phenomenal yeah. as it is yeah. in, this, in this community. Such good things happen. So we did that. My wife and I did that for about seven years. And then then we moved on and did other things. And we ended up coming back to Kansas after being away for so long. Uh -huh. And then I worked with you at, at headquarters for a few years. Uh -huh. And uh, in the meantime, I developed my artistic skills and have been a writer for all these 50 years, uh, last 50 years or so. And we finally, uh, finally, uh, now I'm connected with two organizations, and that's what this is all about. Uh -huh. uh, the Kansas Authors Club District Number Two uh, is a group of uh, of writers and poets that uh, have gotten, you know, like I don't know how many books those guys have all published uh -huh. with a world of, of experience. And I've uh, challenged them to send me poetry that I could take to another organization, the South Mass Art Guild. That, that I belong to. I'm on the board of directors there. Okay. And uh, and it came together. And so we have, uh, a, we're going to fill the, the walls of Amy's Coffee House at 1025 Main Street. Massachusetts, uh, Massachusetts Street, I mean. The Main Street in downtown. Yeah, the Main Street. <laughs> Massachusetts Street. And, uh, and we've got artists that have interpreted poetry uh -huh. that uh, the poets have submitted. And we are going to have about maybe around 30 pieces, it looks like, up mm -hmm. on the walls. And some of the uh, of the artists picked the same poet more than one time. Uh -huh. So that's going to be fun to see uh -huh. the different interpretations of these poems. Uh -huh. um, and it's uh, and then April is National Poetry Month. Yes. So that's one of the reasons why we've chose to do it at this time, yes. so we could kick off National Poetry Month. Yes. And then we're planning on 
hopefully I can get enough poets involved to have weekly poetry readings on Friday nights uh, at Amy's Coffee House for a short ah. while for the month of April. Because, uh, you know, it's amazing how much poetry is out in this country yeah. right now. Yeah. I'm seeing unbelievable amounts of publishers producing it. Uh-huh. And poets on every different level are out there. All kinds of poetry. All yeah. kinds of poetry. Yeah. You know, I've won uh, one second place in an amateur, national amateur poetry contest. And uh, I'm up for another award this year. And then in Reader's Digest, I got an honorable mention for one of my poems years ago. Uh-huh. Or a couple years ago, actually. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, uh, and I ventured off into story writing, finally, after all these years of really getting serious about it. I have a book coming out here in the, the next... Uh, in September, we plan to have it but push it off, publish, have it published and sent off in September of this year. Um, I'm going to have my proof copies by the end of next month, which I'm going to try to send out and get some reviews and get people to get interested in that. Uh-huh. And it's a story about uh, the effects of drugs on uh, on soldiers in warfare. And uh, and my soldier that uh, that is carrying you through the story is not a combatant because 90% of all soldiers are support personnel. Only about 10 or 15% actually end up doing the actual combat. And you don't get a take on these guys. Uh, in my story, the, the hero versus Monkey Joe and me, uh, my character and a monkey have adventures across Vietnam. They meet, uh, they meet the Hells Angels, Vietnamese Hells Angels an outlaw gang there. Uh, they, they get put on trial by the NBA. Uh, they rescue some soldiers from uh, captured by the Viet Cong and a variety of other things. Mm-hmm. And my character takes you through the addiction cycle from an innocent boy into becoming an addict and then becomes a dealer thinking he's helping everybody out by selling drugs mm-hmm. to, the, to his fellow soldiers. Mm-hmm. So I think that we need to know about stuff like that. And I believe that it's still impacting our our soldiers today that are in these incredible, unreal situations of warfare. And people may wonder how you chose that kind of a theme. There's another part of your experience that you, you didn't mention. Yeah, that's right. That is another part of my experience. Well, I'm, I'm a Vietnam veteran. I was in Vietnam in 1970 and, uh, and observed all this and participated in much of this mm-hmm. stuff. And, uh, we know that we lost around 55,000 soldiers or something in Vietnam. But do you know that we probably lost over 150,000 of them to suicide mm-hmm. since the end of the war? Mm-hmm. And, and oftentimes you hear about the, the homeless, the Vietnam, Vietnam veteran homeless people. As a matter of fact, I'd like to read a poem about that experience for these guys, if I could. Okay. It's called The Hero's Reward. And it's one of the poems that will be interpreted during this uh, this event that we're having for on Final Friday of this week. Hero's Reward, and this was by uh, Deborah Burke. I think. Let me turn right. Yeah, Deb Ersk is her name. She wrote this. Hero's Reward. A warrior wears his battle scars with pride upon his face. Across his breast a row of stars, he brings us no disgrace. He's welcomed with a big parade. Hero, they proclaim. But in his heart, the whole charade pounds within his brain. The memories haunt his every dream. No sleep, his ear content. Faces, women and children scream. The weapons round is spent. Each life is counted on this earth, and all children are held dear. Somewhere, she who gave him birth shall never hold him near. The terrors implode, consume his life. He can't live with this heavy yoke. He has no friends, no job, no wife. He's hungry, lonely, and broke. It's a syndrome, some big name. Send him to a shrink. There has to be something to blame, but it's not what one would think. He is not weak or just depressed, his demons drive him mad. Another hero is sent to test. We say, it's just too bad. 
And so that's kind of what I think a lot of soldiers experience, that, that initial welcoming and that embracement. And then they're left behind to deal with all the demons that they had to deal with in, the, in that unbelievable environment. Although most soldiers with your experience of Vietnam didn't come back to welcome. That's right. We didn't. As yeah. a matter of fact, I didn't even t tell anybody I was a Vietnam veteran until just since probably 9-11, probably, mm -hmm. when it became okay all of a sudden, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. But uh, that's just one kind of like thing of the poems that we've got. We've got some great poetry mm -hmm. lined up for Final Friday. Mm -hmm. And my story just wants to bring out that information and mm -hmm. let people understand the addiction process, number one, the cycle that the character goes through. Mm -hmm. And this, and then paying attention to the soldiers questioning themselves, questioning the army, questioning our government's involvement in, mm -hmm. in warfare in general. Do we really belong in these places? Are we really helping out by sending soldiers? Is there not a better way mm -hmm. sometimes, a more, a more humane way? Mm -hmm. You know, so, so, you know, I'm always like thinking about things like that and working, working with people and stuff. Um, I, the two organizations that I work with, South Mansard Guild and, uh, and Ken's Office Club, I've got a bunch of people that are really out there thinking and talking and trying to share information mm -hmm. and, you know, be active in, in our communities to help people like be able to see better and think differently. Yeah, that's what art's about. <laughs> you got it. You know what I mean, and, yeah. and push it out there. Yeah, and I and I feel glad to be affiliated with this uh, these two groups of people that are pretty committed to doing good things in our community in Lawrence. Uh -huh. Lawrence is a pretty amazing little community, and it's fun to be here. Yeah, and I'm just thinking about art, and and I include written art when I think about art. And there's a, a little saying about how the job of art is to disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and it does do that from time to time. Yeah. You know, we have good, uh, there's good people out there doing good things all the time. Mm -hmm. It's good to recognize that mm -hmm. sometimes. And that's where, you know, that's where I come in. I just want to go out there and be engaged in life. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then the more you're engaged, the more free you are to do what needs to be done mm -hmm. and to, and have a voice as well as, uh, as well as being, having a good ear and mm -hmm. listening. Mm -hmm. And when I think about things that I know about you as an artist, okay, so you play music, right? you write poetry, you write other kinds of, of nonfiction at this point. I don't know. No, it's fiction. Fiction, fiction it's, at yeah, this point. Yeah, it's totally fiction. You, for some reason, people consider poetry different. Like people say, I'm a writer and a poet. I don't quite understand that. You, I don't either. <laughs> you're a writer, you're a writer. <laughs> you, you're a photographer and, and your other visual art. Drawings, paintings, what? what yep. Yeah, I do a little of everything. I, I started by reading art history, and I kind of like got into modern art history rather uh -huh. than going all the way back. And so I just did artwork based upon what I was reading. I would try to interpret it like surrealistic, the Cubist type scene, uh -huh. and then on into other things, abstract impressionism. So I do abstract work. I do illustrative work, uh -huh. and I use uh, a variety of mediums, and I do some sculpture. Uh -huh. as well and right now i do have an exhibit right now as a matter of fact at the lawrence uh, courthouse in the old courthouse building up on the second floor i've got about 40 pieces up there for the next three months um what you because you mentioned sculpture and all these different types what what kinds of things do you have uh, up there i uh, because it's uh in a county building i've got some paintings up there and i've got a set of of uh photographs that i uh, were inspired by my haiku poetry that i wrote so I've got a haiku poem, right with the uh, with the artwork, and I've got about twelve of those pieces up there. Wonderful. And then I got some abstracts, and then I've done some visual work. I had to take down one of my pieces. It was a political piece on about war. It was called "American Tourists in Baghdad," and it's a picture of a soldier laying in this shadowy enclave with his gun pointing through the the lattices of the of the building, and in the background is a model up there on a runway with their underwear showing, you know, and her legs showing. They didn't want to have that on there, so it was too suggestive. For the dead, this kind of class? Yeah, yeah. So, so I had to take it down, but that was a good piece. So you know? how long will those works be at that courthouse? 
and as far as I know, until the 31st of May. Okay. So it's a three-month exhibit that we do. I didn't even know that that happened. I didn't the either. Second... They called me up uh, like like they, had, they were in panic. They needed somebody. To, their, their artist didn't show up. Uh-huh. So I went in and said, all right, I, let me go talk to you. And I looked at the space and said, I think I can do this for you. Uh-huh. So I brought in 40 pieces and, and hung it up. Uh-huh. And I got one big uh, plaster relief piece that I did. Uh-huh. And it's just a picture of a horse running through the desert. Uh-huh. You know, so, but it was good uh-huh. to get that call. And then now I got all my South Mass Art Guild artists lined up maybe yeah. to come out. And so the, I'm exhibits. intrigued by the second floor of the courthouse. So for yeah. people who don't know that building, it's that beautiful stone building in the yeah. corner of 11th. Well, Memphis. when you come up the stairs, there's the treasurer's office. That's who's really organizes this uh-huh. thing. And I had work in there and they took it down for some reason and put this other guy that was committed that didn't show up on time. They put it, they went ahead and let him put his stuff there, oh. but there's another floor. Right. And it, it's up in this big McKenzie and it's up in there. Uh-huh. So it, you got to go on up one more flight past uh-huh. the, the main area where the treasure's office uh-huh. is. It's a beautiful building. It's it is a gorgeous for building go in for that. Yeah. And then look at the stained glass. And right. Yeah. Get a yeah. peek at the, the so, courtrooms if you've had no reason to go, if you've never been to a county commission meeting or something in right. the building. Exactly. It's, it's really great to see and to remember that government buildings are our buildings. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, you know, and uh, and like the uh, the DA's office, the uh-huh. district attorney's office, and the law library does a two-month exhibits all the time. Okay. They do really good stuff, too, uh-huh. over there. Uh-huh. So, you know. Uh, they're conscious in, in Douglas County. So I really appreciate the, the county uh-huh. commissioners and uh-huh. their willingness to, to work with people on that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's really cool. Yeah, that is real cool to see. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to believe that, uh, you know, it, with this day and age where the NEA is like, you know, maybe not going to get funded or, you know what I mean? Uh, in the, on a national level, looking at, you know, supporting the military and giving them $80 billion but nobody else. Yeah. You know, interesting times. Yeah. Disturbing, but yes. interesting. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, uh, but in locally, <laughs> we got some good people <clears throat> doing what we need. Yeah. There's a lot of really good art that yeah. happens in Lawrence, Kansas. There's some really great artists in yeah. town, actually. And a lot of art that I think about Dave Lowenstein, for example, mm-hmm. whose art is really about social justice and, whether it's a, a giant mural in some community that's been a community project. Exactly. You know, or it's a poster that you see lots of emphasis on, you know, justice for all people. You know? Right. You know, that's that's a slow process. My theory is that we're still basically cavemen. We're still biologically driven, chemically driven, and we haven't gotten out of that stage. We haven't evolved enough yet. Uh-huh. to really be as humanist as we want to be. Yeah. As we see yeah. we need to be. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Always so, conflict. So I want to know about art and you, the, the personal side, because if I remember, you grew up in Eudora, Kansas. I did. I so did. you're from this part of the country. Um, you ended up in the, the war. You've done a lot of different things. But at what point did some kind of art start being part of who you are i think it started when i was about 14 actually when i was 13 in the eighth grade i wrote a story about a boy that goes off into the woods and you know sets himself up and stuff like that and and got some feedback from my teacher my teacher says well perry is this of your own originality and i said well no no i just made it up myself Mm -hmm. and then everybody cracks up because i didn't know what originality man uh-huh. so then after that i learned my lesson i started studying more uh-huh. and in high school i had a couple of creative writing teachers that uh got me spurred in and that's when i decided i'm going to do two things i want to be a counselor and i want to write and so i've been writing ever since uh-huh. and mainly i've been writing you know like sporadically poetry through the years because uh always you know taking care of a family and working you don't have much time in 2009, I decided it was time to retire. And so my wife and I came to Kansas after being away for like 40 years to kind of help ease my mother's passing because she was dying of leukemia. 
And, uh, and then we ended up staying. And then within about nine months, we took in the children that we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, and I wrote my, I started writing my novel. Mm -hmm. So I wrote 65,000 words, no, 75,000 words in four weeks. Because and I wasn't working. When you wrote, how did you write? I, I wrote it by hand, and then I translated it onto the computer. And now I do everything on the computer. Uh -huh. I, I finally made it to that. Except, you know, when you get ideas out in the community, yeah. you write it down on a napkin or anything. Yeah. And I've written about 500 poems. I've compiled my first book of poetry, finally. I haven't got it published. or I'm not trying to publish uh -huh. it yet, but I've compiled it and got a, a cover design for it. So that's going to come out sometime, and then I'll have a few more. I've got enough haiku poetry that I've written that I could do a, a, a book of uh, haiku poems. Uh -huh. So that's going to happen. And, but I'm going to do that in a kind of a picture book form where I'm going to take my photographs like I uh -huh. did. I, a couple of years ago, I did an exhibit of that. And I had like 40 pieces of 40 poems and 40 photographs. That came and, out for, and both that were inspired, but both the photographs and the poem were, were your creations. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah. I only do my own creations overall, uh -huh. unless I'm going to do a collaborative. Uh -huh. I have um, collaborated with some other uh, South Mass Art Guild members, and we've written uh, several plays. We're working on a, a, a black and white movie right now called uh, "The Case of the Purloin Pizza," kind of a film noir <laughs> thing that we're going to do. The hero is a young girl that's a pizza delivery person that wants to find her her father <laughs> so you know so I, I try to touch base in a lot of different areas is uh -huh. what I'm trying to do uh -huh. as well as like you know raise a family again and uh -huh. I, my own two children are all grown my son you know, did the cover for my book on monkey Joe. Uh -huh. it came out pretty dynamic it's gonna be a very interesting cover uh-huh and uh, and he's a, a thriving artist after graduating from the, the Chicago Institute of Art. Uh -huh. uh, out in L.A., he works for Stupid Buddies. You've heard of uh, Adult Swim, a thing called Robot Chicken. He is one of their artists that does that. Stop action animation. That's hard. I know it. I know it. It's amazing what it takes for that. Yeah. So anyway, so, so I've just been like doing it all the way through. I remember uh, during the early 70s when I came back from Nam, I kind of felt lost. I didn't belong in Kansas. So I went across country and ended up down in Texas. And uh, when I went to Dallas, I had some friends that lived there. So I went to visit them. And then the guy that lived there was going to Aransas Pass, Texas to go shrimp fishing. And I thought, well, what's, what's, what's shrimp? What's shrimp fishing? I'd never even heard of shrimp before coming from a pretty, you know, low-class Kansas background. So he said, you just go out on a boat, you go and you hunt fish, you know, you know, shrimp. So I took the guy to Durantis Pass. I gave him a ride there. Uh -huh. And we went down to the docks and asked for jobs. And I got a job on a shrimp boat and did that for three years. Uh -huh. And what a, an experience that was. I forgot which hurricane it was. Hurricane Andrews maybe back during that time. Uh, came through right when I, we were out fishing one night and it knocked our boat all around and broke our windows out and pushed us right up to a Port Arthur, Texas. And, uh, and everybody went home, but I didn't have a place to go back then. So I stayed on the boat during this hurricane oh my on, on the dock. And I had bought me a big bottle of wine, of course, and, and sat down and wrote poetry the whole not the whole time through. Wow. As a matter of fact, one of those poems that I want an honorable mention through Writers died for one of those poems. Uh -huh. So I did that, you know, during the season. Uh -huh. Went over to Mexico for a while, you know, with uh, with the shrimp boats. Because during the off season in in, in in the United States, you go to Mexico to shrimp during the off season because that's shrimping season there, and vice versa. So I did that for a while. I ended up with some friends in Texas that needed a ride to Denver, Colorado. So what did I do? I said, all right, I'll give you a ride. To, got to Denver, Colorado. I, I became broke. Uh, went and got me a job at a landscaping company. And ended up, uh, one of the guys there thought I was some kind of a rich California hippie. Although he saw my tags were Kansas tags. And uh, because I used to have a little Triumph GT6 Plus, in, you know, back in those days. 
And so he was a veteran. Uh-huh. Come to find out, he told me about this program called uh, uh, Veterans Upward Bound. It's a program that they had back then. Uh-huh. And I think it's still around, I believe. It's, it was a great program because what it did is it allowed us to get oriented back into the college atmosphere without costing our GI Bill. They would just for free, we could just go and take classes on reading and writing, and arithmetic and, and geography and and uh, and all that good stuff. And it really helped me uh, get back into school. So then I went and got a degree at the University of Colorado in uh, psychology, research psychology, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's how I ended up. And then during that, those years, I got married and we had a child and moved all around. Uh, ended up in Salt Lake City back in 1980. And the first thing I noticed was there's a radio program that comes on and off. And how do you make sense out of it? Uh, it was a community, it was just starting community radio. Uh-huh. And they were on from six in the morning until midnight. And then they went off the air all night. And I finally figured out their rhythm and volunteered down there and ended up did a show for the first year, five days a week from six to nine in the morning called Breakfast Jam. And that was like a gas. And then from that, I got inspired to do the coffee shop uh-huh. and our art gallery. So we did that, the Painted Word Emporium, and it was a fun gig. And I still got friends all across the country that are doing music and doing great things, uh-huh. you know. One of my friends now went to went to Greece and became a master bazooki player, you know, on the, the Greek wow. traditional music. And now he's in L.A. Of course, he's an incredible guitarist. Uh-huh. Does a lot of session work and stuff, but a lot of writing, poetry, and all got together. I did art. I did art gallery. It was like I had a huge space, uh-huh. so I did art exhibits every six weeks. We did an art exhibit. Wow. So. How did you earn money with this art space? I guess I'm wondering what that. It was a coffee house, so it was like a restaurant. Okay. And I sold food, coffees, and, you know, that kind of thing. In Salt Lake City. In Salt Lake City is this incredible, there's an incredible underground group of artists and artisans and conscientious people in Utah. Uh-huh. They're pretty big. As a matter of fact, they have a, a, a gay mayor right now. Mm-hmm. You know, so I for a, a place like in Mormonville, yeah. you know, you'd yeah. have no, a game. They've done some pretty progressive stuff there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Then during those years that I was there, they built their art community, like, you know, how East Lawrence is trying to do it right now. Uh-huh. They did it back then in the 1980s and did uh-huh. an incredible job building this whole art area uh-huh. community out. And as a matter of fact, one of those artists from Salt Lake is in this new exhibit that's going to come up on the 30th. She's sending us a painting from from some artwork that she's interpreted. Uh So all good stuff, you know. And I just keep uh, engaged. When uh, when I was in Job Corps, I ended up going to wherever a center was failing. Like there's 110 Job Corps centers. The company I worked for, we ran about 26 of them. And so wherever they had a center that was failing, they'd send me and a few other people that really knew what we were doing. And I ended up in Ohio for a number of years and worked there and did that. And what was I going to say about Ohio? Never mind. I'm just sort of baffled by what I imagine working for a bureaucracy is and then your art. So (laughs) that that you have the skill of doing both. During those years, I didn't do very much art except for writing poetry. Okay. You know, because there was not much time. You worked 16 hour days working for a corporation. Uh-huh. And we worked with children. Uh-huh. So children always need lots of attention. Uh-huh. You know. Um, but uh, but you do what you can do and stuff like that. And I just never gave it up and just did little things from time to time. Uh-huh. You know, and then once you get kind of like freed up with more time in your hand, then you can do more. Uh-huh. Like I wish I had, I wish I wasn't working right now because I could do a lot. Uh-huh. I'm very fertile. I've written about eighty poems in the last three months. Uh-huh. Unbelievable, coming out, and I'm really excited about it. Uh-huh. You know, and finish a few. And I and I started writing short stories about three years ago because I never did that before. Uh-huh. So now I'm now I'm also writing short stories, uh-huh. and I've almost got a, a book of short stories written. 
So are you going to be looking for publishers for this variety of projects? Yeah, I've got a publisher right now. So, I, uh, and, and I'll see how that goes. Uh -huh. First, first dab. And then the other thing is, is that, you know, competition for publishers is mm -hmm. phenomenal. Mm -hmm. It's really phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to try to get one of the big five, right? it's almost like, you know, like, it's like, playing the lottery yeah you know so i don't worry about that i found somebody that was interested in my work actually i found some people in england and then they felt like we're, we're not publishing this kind of material right now but mm -hmm. keep coming back mm -hmm. so but then i found through the kansas authors club i found a publisher mm -hmm. and so she's working with me and uh and we're rolling along doing small press is always a very expensive project because mm -hmm. you have to buy your own ISBN numbers and you got to do other things and you got to do your advertisement for it, mm -hmm. which I'm still like way behind the eight ball on that. That's for sure. But I'll learn. Yeah. I'll learn. And that's part of the benefit of connecting with other artists because mm -hmm. people are at different places. With them. That's right. And you learn things and you take advantage of each other and yeah. you help each other out. Exactly. You know, yeah. you know? so I'm going to have somebody help me develop my website because uh, one of the things I'm going to have like, uh, I'll have my artwork in it my, uh, and my advertisement for my writing. Mm -hmm. And then I'll, you know, keep putting things into it. Like, uh, you know, maybe I'll start a blog or something like that. Who knows? Mm -hmm. You know, but I'm, t I'm totally open. Uh -huh. It's just a matter of what time I have. Yeah. You know, like I have my lunch break and I have from nine o'clock until I go to bed at night right now. <laughs> because the rest of the time is taken up with children. Uh-huh. You know, because when you're raising kids, you have a responsibility to right. be engaged. Right. And so you're you're raising kids, right. kids that are family, but not, not yeah. your own sons and yeah. daughters. They're my grandnieces and, and nephews. And yes. your work is to help kids. Right. Yeah. Right. It yeah. just fell into place. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, some sometimes you just gotta go by your own natural callings. Mm -hmm. Like I said, when I was 14, I wanted to be a counselor. I thought there was a need for people to hear other mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. So I've done that in my, mm -hmm. in my life, mm -hmm. not to the degree I wanted, I envisioned, mm -hmm. but to some degree. I want you to tell us some about Marie, because you together are doing all these things. You know what I mean? Oh, that's right. You, you, if it was just you, you wouldn't Couldn't be happen. able to do all these things. Now Marie's this incredible so us, person. Yeah. yeah. Well, she, you know, she's got a teaching degree and remedial reading. So she's not working at this time. She's really staying at home, taking care of the kids and uh -huh. helping really break, doing the majority of the raising them. Mm -hmm. And she's been my uh, supporter, my partner all these years. We've mm -hmm. been together for almost what, 39 years this year. Wow. So, and we're hanging in there. Yeah. Uh, doing good stuff. Um, she, uh, she is my main editor. She, uh -huh. she, I have, I run my stuff across her and, and get her feedback uh -huh. before anybody gives me anything uh -huh. and that's pretty good uh-huh what what does she do in terms of her fund in addition to having these responsibilities well, she, well she's a political activist okay. so she is like you know out there to help people out along uh -huh. those lines uh she volunteers at the school and uh and you know just raising these kids right now yeah and she has you know taught school and did different things uh -huh. like that and what's her connection to art? Um, and not as much. Her uh -huh. connection to art is through me, pretty uh -huh. much. Uh -huh. Yeah, she's not an artist herself. She's not creating, but she's a good editor. But yes, yeah, she's and a she, reader, obviously. And she is an inspiration, and she's an incredible reader, she's, and turns me on to good books all uh -huh. the time. And is uh, able to read my stuff and say makes good, solid suggestions for me. Uh-huh. And uh, and mainly just uh, you know. Mind just my partner in life, yeah, We're moving along. Yeah. How'd you guys meet? We back in the 70s when I moved to Denver. I, when I was going to college, I needed to, you know, have extra money, so I had a weekend job at the in the basement of the Hilton Inn downtown Denver in the parking garage. And her little brother, Marie's little brother, had ran away from home and was working there, and so. I drove in to replace this guy. And, you know, I worked the midnight shift. He worked an earlier shift. And we became friends. And then I became friends with this two other sisters who moved to Denver. And then I met Marie when her father brought her into town to see her brothers and sisters. And we 
we acknowledged each other and then she but she was married at the time uh-huh. and uh and living in aspen and then she got divorced and i was like the main photographer of her sister's wedding we didn't hit it off that good but later on that <laughs> year, later on that year later on that year i i used to go visit her parents because i was good friends with them uh-huh. and the whole family i was friends with. Uh-huh. as a matter of fact she called me uh you know uh tim's tim's little friends which she uh-huh. thought i was she didn't realize i was you know, in the same range as her. Uh-huh. And so one night when I came over to visit, she was there and we sat down and we talked with her mother until like four o'clock in the morning. And we've never been apart since. Uh-huh. You know, she ended up coming to Denver and living with me, moving in, in Denver with us. And we got married a few months later. We said, why not? What are we doing? Uh-huh. You know? And that was like 39 years ago now. Uh-huh. But it, it took a little while for, for you to... Well, she, uh, she, she just had left a, a relationship and didn't think much of men at that time. Uh-huh. And, in, you know, and, and had not been treated well in that relationship. Uh-huh. So, you know, you gotta, you know, it's hard to build trust for, for other people uh-huh. when you've been shook up a little bit. Uh-huh. And then she also saw you as her little brother's friend. Exactly. <laughs> But I just abused her of that idea pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been partners ever since, uh-huh. you know, struggling like anybody else. Uh-huh. All relationships are up and down. Uh-huh. But we're still uh, still got that core. Yeah. That, that fire that's inside your heart that yeah. never goes away. Yeah. I didn't bring my poem. I wrote about that very thing, uh-huh. you know, but there'd be another time for it. Yeah. And speaking of poems, share one of your poems. I'd love what to. What you read before with yeah. somebody else's work. Yeah. Let me see. Let me see which one should I do. Oh, I, I want to read one that was inspired by a, a book that I was reading. <coughs> a guy named of, uh, let's see, let me see what my page is. It's at the very end. There it is. This poem was inspired after reading a book uh, by a uh, an author, uh, a Mexican author, Juan Rufo. He wrote a book called Pedro Parama. And I, it was like this beautiful, surrealistic, magical realism story about a young man that his mother in her dying bed said, you have to go find your father. But he knew that his father had been dead for 20 years. So he takes the journey to go back to the home place where the mother and the father conceived him. Mm -hmm. And while he's there, he's experiencing all these ghosts and memories that come about to explain how he finds his fathers through these ghosts and Uh memories that he experiences and inspired this poem. It's called reading Pedro Parama reading Pedro Parama while walking the dusty road. When my soul became heavy and I fell into a dream state and the world was silent while the wind blew the road dust the road across my path without making a sound. Though late in the day and during the dog days of August, the hour was hot and the road was dust coated my throat and covered my face as I read. I heard voices, a voice in the silence. My mother, she was crying and spit out her loneliness with tears and whimpers of the dead these last, these nine years. She was wandering her purgatory of leaving the earth too soon. I search for her essence and find my father trying to make up to her while hovering over her transparent form. He was lost these 23 years ago, and she never forgave him for leaving without saying goodbye. No, he put a hole in himself while she bathed. I wander down the windblown road, the wind whipping my face, blowing mother closer to me. She looks past me, crying, whining. I am as dead as the mule that wanders over by my mother waiting for me on the other side of the fence. It's a forlorn face with red tears dripping down its opaque cheeks, crying over the neglect it experienced living after father was gone. She looks up at me with accusatory eyes, seeping, asking why, why did you let me die? Father appears looking over her shoulder at me with that disappointed expression sadness in his eyes as he strokes her neck here son have a final drink with me and he passes over the insubstantial bottle of schnapps my hands can't grasp and he hops on the mule's back 
riding across the dry, weedy field into the late sunset, sunlight, just before it slips beyond the horizon. Faintly, I hear a voice calling for him, a woman calling, crying, calling out his name on the wind. Mother's vague form chased the mule and old man, and they disappear across the weeds, and she is left behind with hunched shoulders, and she drifts off into the heavens, still calling his name. I wake with Juan Rufo's book in my lap, and I find myself sitting in the field while he goes looking for his father and lives with the ghosts. Wow. And was that a book that Marie introduced you to? No, Here's that was one that I, I had bought years ago uh-huh. and kept neglecting it. Uh-huh. And then I picked it up uh, this year and said, wow, this is, uh, I didn't realize this guy was like the first famous Mexican author. Uh-huh. He wrote the one book and then he wrote a book of short stories and that's, uh-huh. that's all. But yet he became a very important uh-huh. and he influenced uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez uh-huh. in his magical realism. Okay. So I, I found that really, you know, that book was really just took me on a trip. And I thought of my mom and dad. Yeah. Because they were both dead and, and, and had experienced that. Yeah. So I, I, I try to write some pretty universal fun things that, you know, people experience in, in life. Uh-huh. Um, I, I'd like to read one called Close if I could. This poem is really about the media. It's it's called uh, the crows of the crows of the media of the crows of media is what I'm titling, and it goes like this: There we go. Crows, a murder of crows circles the yard, searching for scraps of life left behind. They complain from above and grumble when they land. They loom large over the sparrows and push their way toward the birdseed. Of course, they prefer the freshly dead that has fallen from another's hand. They work together, squawking, then fighting each other over decaying meat of some creature alive only yesterday. And I feel like that's a lot of what media does these days. Uh-huh. They're always just circling around and, and pouncing on things yeah. and beating dead, dead things behind. Yeah, yeah. And I'll read another one if you don't mind. Love to have it. You know, this poem I wrote, and I won an award for this one. It's called Conversing. I heard the cows. The night sky was dark, sprinkled with twinkling stars, and Orion's belt streaked across the sky. I heard the cows whispering to each other earnestly, then yell at the herd across the dark gray pasture in the dim new moonlight. The frogs sang at the pond's edge, singing of longing, of love, and sex. They were very aggressive in the love they offered. I heard the cars. The cars had intercourse with the dusty gravel road. Their lights drowned in the confusion they created in the night. I heard cows converse to each other with questions of the origins of life. They wanted to know, why are we here? The conversation lasted long into the night. The stoic creatures moved on in the night, and the stars winked out as the bullfight lay down. That's lovely. So, you know, I was standing out back in my backyard one night, and these cows were, like, braying over here on the left side. And then across the, the road, they were getting answered by other cows, and they talked back and forth. <laughs> for, it was really weird. It was like they were actually, I thought, communicating with each other. Uh-huh. So uh, this poem came out of that. <laughs> I thought, well, that's an experience you should you should, uh, acknowledge. You translated the cows. I like it. <laughs> I mean, what would they be talking about? But what? Why are we here? You know, we're, we're still questioning that all of us are <laughs> so profoundly. But I think that we're here to share with what we are. Uh-huh. We're, we're an infinite speck in in time and life and stuff like that. Yeah. So share what you are and and uh, and help people around you have a better life, hopefully. Yeah. You know, and try to do good things. I'll read another one if it's okay. Yeah. Might as well. I like reading my poetry, and I really try to to to. Do a good job on it. 
This one's called The Fat Man Says. The fat man on the corner says to his friend, historically, there is a higher plane. His friend didn't know what that meant, but nodded his head, urging the fat man on, who who extolled in detail what the higher plane should look like to him. Yeah, he bypassed the Bible, and he ignored the Torah, and the Quran was just tossed out. He knew the way to get there, and his friend decided to have a drink. He wasn't interested in moving to the fat man's higher plane of existence. He told the fat man, I found God in this bottle, and he lets me fly away, and I don't have to notice how holy my clothes are. I know they are sacred and allow me to go anywhere. See how the pretty girls walk on by? And the police may uh, look at me, yet they leave me alone. And so I pray in peace. And the fat man looked at him sadly and gives up trying to help his friend reach any higher plane. They both look up at the sky, sighed, and walk away in the rain, each solid in the quest they were on. (laughs) And that's what happens a lot of times. You know, you get two opposing thoughts like uh, especially right now uh-huh. with the political situation yeah like uh, i've got a brother that's very political and a sister that's very political not in the not in my way that's for sure right in the way that would maybe support the uh, the republican agenda and when you get those together they conflict with each other and they never really communicate effectively hmm. sharing ideas and so I just wanted to say, you know, a lot of times we don't do that. We don't succeed in sharing ideas and listening to each other very well. Yeah. I I mean, I think there's no question that in general, we don't listen to each other well. And it's complicated. I mean, I I think about the conversations that I've had recently with people about some of the things going on, including the March for Our Lives, Women's March, and and who feels included and who doesn't feel included, and and how another conversation um, with with, uh, John Gary Brown, who's a painter, and Mm -hmm. um, we were talking about, he he does, John John Gary Brown has photographs at the Watkins Museum right now Mm-hmm. that are in their exhibit on the 1960s. I think it's called Counterculture. And right, like that. right. We were talking about who those people were who were identified as the freaks in Lawrence. Freaks in the, like, drug user. I, I totally kind of way. Or, or the, the alternative yeah, culture. Yeah, but I mean, as opposed to a, a disparaging word based on somebody looking different or something like that. We're talking about, right. We're talking about specifically what I think a lot of people would say the hippies at that time, you know, yeah. and, and how looking at his photographs of the freaks in Lawrence, he had these annual photographs, they're all white, you know, and, and what was that about, you know, and, and realizing for myself that, you know, I didn't, I didn't think about things. I didn't know as much at that time about racism as I would say I do now and realizing that there was no way that brown and black people, young people, could have been traveling across country without being killed. Right, or injured, or or terribly damaged. That that white people, even white guys with long hair, could get by in a way that was with a, you know, I'm not saying- It was dangerous for us too. Right, but it it wasn't as dangerous as it was for for young people of color. Uh, Yeah, what they had to experience was even you know, as late as as, as we were, were around in, uh-huh. the, in the 70s, it was still that way. Uh-huh. You know, you couldn't even, uh, you know, associate in a public place with yeah. a black person without some kind of heat coming down. Yeah. Again. So where does that get us in terms of, like, the March for Our Lives, the emphasis on this terrible thing happened in Parkland and in schools, and people of color saying, We've been kill- getting killed every year forever. Forever. And, and we're all the 500 years we've been around us. here, 600 years we've been and around here. Suddenly, these these kids from the school, you know, are being heard. And, and so that they're, it's complicated. I, think I, I was reading something about white privilege uh-huh. in the Sun magazine. It's uh-huh. one of my favorites. Uh-huh. And uh, and they made a really good point uh, is that, in that, is that uh, the white privilege is just 
so that you can have some kind of a peace in your community. And it always doesn't let the black or other people color in. Uh-huh. It just shuts them out no matter what, yeah. even if they feel like they're open. Yeah. Like in those years, there was some connections to some degree, but it was really weak. And in Lawrence, of course, during that time, the the black population in Lawrence was probably smaller than it is even now. And even now it's not very much. It's still a very white red community. I don't know if it was smaller then. There was a lot, you know, a lot going on at that time in terms of protests against racism and, and right. that, you know, killings that happened then too. That's and, right. And I want to swing back to you. And yeah. so I think that's something that art, you know, can can help open conversations. You know, that the but, people don't really want to a lot of people don't want to hear that they're that they're privileged. We've like, got I don't a, feel privileged. I don't have much money, blah blah blah. It's like, yes, but it's you, it's a subtle thing that you if you know that you have to have some consciousness about it to yeah. realize it's there. It's there. Yeah. But oftentimes we ignore well, most of the time the white population ignores it, even if you're the, the poor person. Yeah. I mean, you know. There's, there's not much privilege in being a super poor individual for sure. Yeah. Uh, but there is as far as it goes, as far as the, as that racial divide goes, Yeah. you know? And so, you know, again, I think that's one of the opportunities and challenges that artists have right now is to help people and, look at things they don't want to look at. And I don't know how good they're doing it. I think that the black community, I'm seeing lots of incredible inroads right now. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be strong enough, but there's lots of inroads in the, the black poet community mm-hmm. that is being out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, last month, South Mass Art Guild sponsored Black Lawrence in our in our thing, and we had a. Uh, but you know, once again, it was all it was all our our, our African American population. It was not a diverse mixing in right. there, except for the us that are white was there to support it and make it happen. And so for people who don't know, Black Lawrence is an art group. And they're awesome. They are. They, they yeah. did a really great job. Yeah. You know, and uh, and they're out doing lots. Yes. They're out there being very active, doing good things. Yeah. So I'm very excited about them being here in town. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and invited them to join the Authors Club for sure because uh-huh. I thought, oh, that, that would be really that great. would get a good mix. We don't have nearly enough color in the Kansas Authors Club as far uh-huh. as I'm concerned. And I'd like to see more of that and that influence come through. Yeah, I think that that's, to me, one of the things that I say is that as a person with white skin, sometimes my my job is to open a door, like you're saying, that, mm-hmm. that you hosted Black Lawrence performers at Amy's. Right. You, you helped make that happen in that particular venue. And you're trying to welcome people into the Kansas Authors Club you know, and, and then everybody we need, benefits. We need, we need that diversity because then we all open our eyes more and we all grow more as people. Yeah. Is how I look at it. Yeah. And we've got a long way to go, yeah. for sure. Yeah. All of us, our society. I mean, after 500 years of of either enslavement or, you know, or just disregarding of the rights of those individuals. You know, it's, it's the same thing with women, too, as far as I'm concerned. Women have only, you know, coming into their own since what 1920s when they finally got a vote and could own property and stuff <laughs> you know from you know for hundreds of years women couldn't even own property and so as we're talking you know you mentioned with Kansas Authors Club that there's there's a desire and interest to welcome and, and encourage people of color to be part of that um, and I think of with the South Mass Art Guild the people who I have met are maybe more, at least in age range, different than Kansas Authors Club. Is that the South Mass kind of right. cross generation? Yes, yeah, definitely cross generation. We've got teenagers all the way through old farts, you know. <laughs> I think that's really important, you know, that, that we learn from each other. It's not yeah. just that the elders have wisdom to impart, but but we all learn from each other yeah. and we need those opportunities to be together. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Wisdom is in, in what's expressed and how it's dealt with and not always by experience, uh-huh. you know, it's uh, being able to see beyond the superficial and, and be able to react to it and, and utilize it and uh-huh. share it. 
because uh, it's not easy. And, and, you know, usually wisdom doesn't come about by words anyway. Usually wisdom comes about by behavior and actions. True. You know, and it's hard to impact that without a connection, yeah. without a development of a relationship, yeah. without things going through. Yeah. You know. So before we run out of our time, which we're winding down, I want you to tell us a little bit more about what's going to happen on March 30th sure. with the exhibit. And part of what I'm wondering is what happens after, you know, it, that you have oh. this opportunity for people Great. to see these poems, see mm -hmm. these paintings, meet some of the artists. Right. I assume there's some readings involved. You got it. Yeah. yeah. All so, the, all the art that's on the walls will have a poet interpret, will read that po those uh -huh. poems. Uh -huh. But not only that, here's what I we've also done. The South Mass Art Guild group has put in the money and we're binding a this this book right here. Uh -huh. And we're going to give all the poets that submitted stuff, even if they didn't get one picked, they'll each get a copy of that book. Uh -huh. And the artwork that's on the walls, the artists have agreed to, uh, if any of it sells, 30% uh, of that money will go to the poet and 70% will go to the artist. Yeah, so the poet gets 30% of, uh, of the sales of the artwork, and they will also get a copy of, uh, their, of their compiled book of poetry called Painted Words. Uh -huh. And uh, the art will stay up for a month throughout the month of April, and hopefully we'll have uh, yeah, a poetry reading every Friday evening uh -huh. from a, probably you know, around 7 o'clock probably, 7 to 8 probably, short. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And that's what I want to see anyway, and that's what we're shooting for. Mm -hmm. We'll see if we get a commitment from everybody on that. Should be easy. Should be easy. Seriously. And there's some good stuff. Yeah. You know, uh, I feel like uh, that I've grown so much by joining the Kansas Authors Club. Uh -huh. um, I, I spent a couple years in a writer's group here in town and learned a lot and got a lot of feedback from those guys, and they've helped me out. Uh -huh. And then I just ran out of energy. To uh -huh. keep it going. Uh -huh. So I'm not doing that right now, but I am involved with the Kansas Authors Club. Mm -hmm. And um, and I've done some, uh, we have a, a like a state convention every year. This year it was done in Coffeeville, and I did a couple presentations there. And uh, the year before that, I did a little art poetry thing with kids, with, with the, the youth poets. Cool. We're looking for, you know, kids to join all the stuff, too, yeah. of course. Yeah. You know. And... So you're Perry Shepard. Yes. You write, you play music, you sculpt. Don't really play music yet, but I'm working paint, on it. You draw. Yep. I've seen you play. Yeah, I can do it. I'm getting <laughs> I can make sound poems. <laughs> but I'm learning. And, and you've taken a leadership role both with the South Mass Art Guild and with the Kansas Authors Club. And yeah. I can't. Think about Kansas Authors Club without thinking about Rhonda Miller. You got it. The, she's is, the president now of the whole state. And she's this amazing person. I mean, the thing. I don't like, know how she like does you, it. Yeah, like you, Rhonda has lived a lot of chapters of life that, like, how does one person have all of those experiences? And, and she, powerful experiences for yeah, her, too. Yeah, and she writes amazing poetry. Mm -hmm. She has three books in print at this time. Right. She is funny she is sexy she is smart i mean you'll pick up all these things in her poetry she is lively she she you know she's not maybe some ideas of who a poet might be and what a poet might say a beautiful person in all of the ways you got it yeah and yeah. i know that she has been working really hard to be able to get a variety of people to get excited and become involved with Kansas Authors Club. So it wouldn't be Right, stagnant. me too. Yes. Yeah. 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 We, need, we need it. You know, we need to have new blood. Yeah. You know. So people should feel really welcome to connect with the Kansas Authors Club if they're here in Kansas, different districts, different activities. But exactly. I'm, I'm going to guess that this one in Lawrence is one of the best. I'm just going to guess that. <laughs> I think so too. I, they've, Although I tell you, I mean, I've been impressed with all the regions, yes, you know, and, yeah. and the individuals that I've seen involved yeah. in that. Yeah. Uh, they're dedicated people to the to their art. Yeah. And they want to share it with the yeah. world. Yeah. And they know that uh, it's important. Yeah. It's really important, yes. I think. Yes. Because uh, what can you do? You can only do what you can do, and you can't always commit yourself. To, like, in the politics, you'd have to, like, commit your whole life to yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. 
and and people don't always have that because they have all these other elements yeah. Yeah. pulling on their yeah. pulling on them. Yeah. And so for people who we've gotten a little intrigued into this poetry thing that maybe they weren't so sure about, there's amazing stuff going on in Kansas City. Some of it's starting with the Uptown Arts Bar and the right. Writers Place. There's a wonderful stuff, Speakeasy in Topeka, monthly reading, and wonderful right. people involved with that. There's stuff all around. Yeah, and the Fringe Festival every year in Kansas City. Yeah. They just does great verse, stuff. Small Press Poetry Fest coming up in October in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. There's all this good stuff. And I want to give a huge shout-out here to Danny Kane, who is, as I say, the current caretaker of the Raven Bookstore. Danny right. is a poet. Danny brings the connection to the University of Kansas as well as the community. There's amazing stuff going on with poetry being brought that's filling Liberty Hall, you know, to, to be able to use that venue and, and yeah. tap room poetry and all these different things going on. Yeah, and I want to get tapped into people. some more of that too. Because yeah. I've got enough material now, I can go out and yeah. share it. Yeah. So, folks, look for Perry Shepherd at some of these events. Consider the March 30th at Amy's Coffee House here in Lawrence and be able to see some of the paintings and hear some of the poetry. If you're a poet, consider volunteering to be a reader for February's, excuse me, for Fridays in April, yep. National Poetry Month. Lots of good things. Poetry Fair at the Arts Center, all these good things. And I know we have to stop. Thank you, Perry Shepard. Thank you, Marsha. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, Daniel Smith, for producing the show so people get to listen to it. Thanks to our listeners, and so long.